I'm Jessica. And I'm David. And this is Passports and Birth Control, a couple's take on international travel. Now today we're talking about Prague, the capital of the Czech Republic. We went to Prague after we wrapped up our time in Berlin. We went there by, again, you're going to expect this, by train. Very picturesque train. Very beautiful country from Berlin to Prague. Oh, the entire Central Europe really is. So yeah, take the train. It's a lot of fun. Now, we had seats in the passenger car, but it was the middle of June at this point. Europe gets a little steamy in the summer. We were in one of those typical passenger compartments where you're in a bench seat with a, a few other people and there's a sliding door that closes. It's not like, you know, an Amtrak or, or even a bus where you're in a big compartment with a bunch of people. You have a little bit of privacy in there with other people, but that little compartment completely baking, yeah. I guess, in our little compartment. The AC had broken. So what we wound up doing was we just Went to the dining car, had a couple of beers, watched the Central European countryside roll by. It was really a, a lot of fun. So if you do get the chance to take a train and ride in the dining car and have a beer, that's really a fun experience in and of itself. The, the chairs were even more comfortable on the dining car anyways. Oh, yeah. So as long as they didn't kick us out because, I mean, we, we ordered a beer, that was it. But we went there after lunch, so there wasn't really much competition for the chairs anyways. Right. Now, in Prague, hostels and Airbnbs are the way to go. The hotels, I don't know if I would even look into them. There are so many hostels to choose from, so many Airbnb options. It is an extremely hostel-friendly city and extremely affordable, despite being one of the highly prized tourist attractions. We did check out hotel prices when we were booking our trip, and found that because it's an active government city, it was more expensive to stay in a hotel. That's why we're recommending a hostel or an, or an Airbnb. Right. It's sort of your typical experience. It's almost like the poster child of the, of the hostel experience. Prague. Everybody wants to go to Prague because it is such a wonderful city. It's one of the few European capitals that was largely spared. I say largely because no one really was spared in Europe in World War II. But it was largely spared a lot of destruction. There wasn't any major Allied bombing campaign. It wasn't really invaded. It was occupied by the Germans, but the Allies didn't have a battle there fighting over it when they were trying to take the city back. And Prague capitulated pretty quickly after the Nazis invaded. So it's it's a really medieval city, very old-fashioned, and you see that right away. Right from the train station, you get out and you realize that the streets are extremely tight. You realize that the streets are not necessarily asphalt and pavement. A lot of them are brick or stone, cobblestones, and they're designed for pedestrian and horse and carriage traffic, not cars. So above all else, if you're in Prague, don't take a taxi, don't rent a car, because you're going to be part of the problem. <laughs> there were taxis that would occasionally try and navigate the narrow streets with that are full of pedestrians, and it was just a nuisance. And if you're in that taxi, it's going to take forever anyways. Be prepared to walk, but that's honestly the best way to see Prague anyways. It is a very walkable city. So wear comfortable shoes. Leave the fancy <laughs> sandals and dress shoes at home. Bring your tennies, bring your flats, don't wear fancy shoes. It is a hilly city, that's for sure. So when we're walking along this area, we realize that Prague has grown in terms of its tourism. I had been there several years before on my own, 
and loved the city, fell in love with it. But I apparently had gone in a time when tourists weren't as, as much flocking to the city. You went in the fall. I went we in the went fall. in the height of summer. Yeah, it was very crowded. And so that's something you also need to be prepared for. Prague is an extremely popular tourist destination. And like we said in the Amsterdam episode, it tends to be a common place for stag parties and hen parties, you know, bachelor and bachelorette parties. So Europeans like to come here because it's, well, I think one of the main reasons it's it's cheaper. Cheaper beer, cheaper food, cheaper accommodations. So it has this sort of ambiance of a party town. But don't think it's only that. It's really a historical site. There's beautiful ambiance of this medieval grandeur. It just really feels like a medieval city more than many cities I've ever been to. And so I highly recommend getting into a hostel because that means you can be in the middle of the city, oftentimes in an older building that's retrofitted. So we found a hostel near Charles Bridge. Now there's sort of three central sites that we're going to be talking about that can sort of be waypoints throughout the rest of the city. There's the castle, the Prague Castle. There is the Charles Bridge. And then there's the Old Town Square. Old Town Square tends to be the heart of tourist areas. I don't necessarily recommend you stay near it because Old Town Square is a very walkable distance from pretty much any hostel that you're going to you're going to be in. Charles Bridge tends to have a little bit cheaper accommodations. So if you're on the opposite end of Charles Bridge from Old Town Square, you're on the side of the river where the castle is. Essentially, you have the castle looking down from a very steep hill on one side of the river, Old Town Square on the other side, and the Charles Bridge in between them. I recommend staying on the on the castle side of Charles Bridge just because you find cheaper accommodations, roomier accommodations. It just tends to be a better area. You can walk across the bridge, no problem. So we found a nice little hostel, and it ended up having a brewery in the lower areas of it. So we were a little bit early, so we just enjoyed a little sampling of this brewery while we are waiting for our check-in time to arrive. Now, I promise we are not actually alcohol because we sound. We were on vacation. Yeah, why not? <laughs> So, we stayed near the Charles Bridge. Now, this is a must-see in Prague. This thing is so cool. It is so old. It goes back centuries. And it's very unique looking. Every few feet, it seems like, there's a pylon at the edge of the bridge on the railing. And on that pylon is some statue or other of figures and... Oftentimes, they're saints. Oftentimes, they're figures in Czech history. And so they vary widely in their works of art in and of themselves. But just to see this bridge, this curved stone bridge with these statues around, it's, it's, it's a ubiquitous symbol of Prague because on either end of the bridge you also see these towers. And this is a very common feature of Prague, these medieval-looking buildings gray stone and gray peaked slate roofs with the stone bridge and the statues. It's extremely gothic in appearance, very just, it, 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 it brings out the writer in you. It makes, it makes you feel inspired. In addition to these amazing statues of these saints and heroes and historical figures, you have these street performers and we're talking juggling, we're talking uh, acrobats, we're talking just kind of whatever you can picture as far as street performers go, uh, buskers, musicians, whatever. And it's so cool to watch these people ply their art 
And yeah, they've got their little tip jars out there, and most of their signs are not in English. <laughs> it's an extremely crowded bridge during the height of tourist season, so it is a challenge to get from one side to the other. But it's a worthwhile experience just to go be there, take pictures, but just don't linger too long. Sometimes people can get in the way if they linger too long. It's a bridge after all. It's a way of getting from point A to point B. Just enjoy the experience while you're there. So as we said, the three main sites, Charles Bridge, Castle, Old Town Square. Old Town Square, sort of the heart of the tourist area of Prague. It's, it's where a lot of festivals are held. It's where a lot of concerts are held. I myself saw a concert of Goran Bregovic, which maybe an artist you're not familiar with, but he's just a great musician. And I just blew my mind, walked upon this uh, you know concert in the middle of this square. Well, we happened upon some sort of music festival as well, and they had all these different food venues standing up. They were cooking up big gobs of potatoes and roasting ham on spits, and it was it was fantastic to be able to eat and drink in the square area. But the square itself is a historical site in and of itself. It's got statues. It's got cathedrals around it. There are several churches in and around it. There's a church on one end of the square with very picturesque spires that are black and slate. It's just very gothic again, very gothic looking. And inside even more gothic, you go in there and there is a severed arm hanging over the door. And it's supposedly of a thief who tried to steal an icon and his hand got trapped and, and the icon itself held his arm there and it wouldn't let it go. So they had to cut his arm off. I don't know what the actual story is, but there is an arm hanging over that door. So it might've been just a thief that they cut his arm off. It is mummified. It is not gross or stinking it is clearly very old worth seeing kind of macabre <laughs> a lot of Prague has these really macabre feeling elements and literally macabre seeing elements as well on the other end of the square is the famous astro astronomical clock this astronomical clock doesn't just show the time, it shows the positions of the stars. And so you often see people standing in front of it, waiting for it to go off, because it does have a nice show at the end of the hour. And then it has a lot of people taking pictures. It's In a lot of ways, this is the symbol of Prague. These buildings, this very picturesque clock. There's a lot to see on the square, but oftentimes the square itself is a waypoint for other events to be happening in Prague itself. One of the things you see in and around the square is these Tretelnik <laughs> bakeries. Now, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. Tretelnik is essentially dough on a spit that's covered in sugar and cinnamon. It's kind of like a weird fire-roasted donut, and it's absolutely delicious. Imagine some sort of fire-baked pizza dough-type cinnamon roll. And you see these in and around the square. It's a very popular tourist thing to do to get either ice cream or treadlenick. And, and you see a lot of these traditional foods in and around the area. It's, it's almost like a carnival, but every day. Go for the pastry over the ice cream, definitely. These things, they're soft and they're fluffy, but they're also crispy. And there's this bit of a charred edge from being fire roasted. So you get the contrast and textures and flavors. You really need to try one of these things. They're amazing. The third of the three things that you really, really want to see in Prague, of course, the Prague Castle. Now, as David mentioned, at the top of a very steep hill. Now, this castle is really unique because it's an active seat of government as well as a historical site. So as you have tourists walking through these medieval rooms and medieval exhibits, you have the actual president running the Czech Republic as you're there just 
walking around. He's in a different building, but it's on the same location. Right, and that's what makes Frog Castle so unique. Now, as you're walking around this castle, you can partake in these sort of medieval activities. For instance, you can go to the walls and they have a crossbow range set up where you can shoot a replica of a medieval-style crossbow. You pass by these suits of armor and these displays of swords and all these things, like this is from the 15th century. You know, Oh, by the way, here's a crossbow. Go, go shoot at a target. Yeah, you pay a couple of euros, they hand your crossbow, say, hey, don't kill yourself, shoot at downrange. David and I both tried our hand at it. I thought he was going to wall up me, because you know, he's the athlete, I'm not. But we wound up, you know, scoring the exact same score on our separate score sheet. Yeah, she, she tied me, and so we ended up keeping our targets. <laughs> I had to prove that I had done it. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's activities like this you can do. There's a goldsmith nearby. There's lots of really interesting exhibits looking like this was what the medieval village around the castle looked like. Right, and you can go into the banqueting hall where kings and queens and lords once feasted and held joust within this building. Yeah, this room is so big they actually held jousting matches inside in this place. Yeah, with the full horses and the giant lances and all of that. So it's just incredible medieval place that happens to be an active government building. Now, you have historical events that happened here, such as the start of the Thirty Years' War. Chiefly, this was at the window of defenestration. Guy got thrown out the window, and that started the Thirty Years' War. <laughs> yeah, they had a, a delegation, and they, they weren't very happy with how things went. This Catholic-meeting Protestant group, and they threw the Catholics out, and they said, Hooray! Bohemia is going to withdraw from the the, the, the areas that were in, in conflict. And, and they actually survived the fall. It was a very long fall, but they survived. There was a lucky pile of manure. <laughs> <laughs> so the defenestration happened. They, they cursed the people that threw them out the window and says, this means war. And well, it meant 30 years of war between Catholic parts of Central Europe and Protestant parts of Central Europe. And it was a really bad situation, but you get to see this historically significant room where this really historical tragedy occurred and, and, they, and they talk about it. It's, a, it's an interesting point of pride because a lot of the, the Bohemian area, the Prague area, they pride themselves on their independence. And this was sort of a big push of independence. We're so for independence, we're going to chuck these people out the window. <laughs> now again, luckily with this particular instance, nobody was actually hurt. A lot of people died in the Thirty Years' War, but in oh, this yeah. instance, nobody died. Now one of the other sites to see within the castle itself is the cathedral. You can't miss it. It's the big spired thing in the in the castle itself. It's huge. Right. And stunning. You walk into this place and the colors. They have some of the most spectacular stained glass windows in this part of Europe. And it's just breathtaking. You walk in and there's just this rainbow of light filling the air. It is so breathtakingly beautiful. Don't go on a cloudy day. You want to go when it's bright and sunshiny so you can experience this just aura of color. Yeah, each window has some sort of different theme to it. And so they're all about different areas of the Bible. And so you get these very vibrant images. The stained glass windows are relatively new. And so using modern technology to create something that's going to be a historical landmark around for hundreds of years was very unique because we got to compare these stained glass windows, which are you know, maybe 30 years old, which is brand new according to a cathedral, compare that to the several centuries old rose windows of the Notre Dame and very different. I mean, obviously the old ones are vibrant and colorful and awe-inspiring for their age, 
But these are old, but still spectacular because we can use modern manufacturing techniques to just bring out those vibrant colors. And so, yes, they're new, but they're still just as spectacular. This building itself is centuries old. Now, I said the windows are new. That's not because they were broken or anything. It took them forever to finish this cathedral. Centuries the, the Prague people were working on this cathedral, and it was in a state of near completion for a very long time. Then, of course, the 20th century happened, and well, everything derailed. Everything derailed. <laughs> so, it's only recently been finished, and it's a really interesting combination of the old Gothic and the new, brand new stained glass windows. And it's just a spectacular sight to see. That isn't to say that it doesn't work or that it's a juxtaposition. It does work, it does fit, and it's quite beautiful. Right, and they've got the silver coffin of St. Wenceslaus in this cathedral. It's, it's, it, the interior itself is also richly decorated and really fantastic. If you need a reference for who that is, think of the Christmas Carol. Yeah, Queen Wenceslaus. Now, there are places to eat within the castle itself, so you don't need to try to cram it into a morning or cr try to cram it into an afternoon. You can have lunch there. In fact, there was this hot dog stand that David, who does not like hot dogs, always waxed poetic about. I said in there. the Berlin episode that the the, the curry verse was the far from the worst, the best hot dog I'd ever had. This was the best hot dog I'd ever had at this restaurant on the side of Prague Castle. Right, who would wax poetic about how he sat there and had a couple of hot dogs and had some beer? You're essentially on a cliff edge, looking over the Prague city below you. Oh, it was such a wonderful experience. And so we really wanted to recreate that when we got there. However... It's a Starbucks now. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, you turned a beautiful little... I mean, it was just a dinky hot dog stand, but they made the best... Like, they just had good Czech hot dogs. They were, they were good sausages, and they made them with good bread, and they got a good beer, and, and it was such a wonderful experience. And now it's a Starbucks. We did find our good Czech sausages and beer elsewhere in the castle, just not where you expected to find them. The view was just less than spectacular, unfortunately. So I don't recommend lumping all of these things in one day. You should definitely spend multiple days in Prague. There's lots to see, lots to do, and lots to eat and drink. One of the drink recommendations I'd make is actually a Budweiser. Now, that's a weird thing to say, because Budweiser, well, that's an American beer. Actually, Budweiser, the brand, exists in the Czech Republic. We call They call it the Budweiser Budvar. So Budweiser, Budweiser, Budweiser Budvar is the Czech version of it, and it actually is pretty darn tasty. And so, not just in context, it's legitimately good. Yeah, it's it's a actually made well European lager. So enjoy a couple of Budweiser mood bars, enjoy the city, enjoy some treadle naked as well. So on our multiple days, we were able to go to a fantastic museum, which in a lot of ways reminded me of that DDR museum we saw in Berlin. It's called the Cold War Museum. And just like the DDR museum, it's a little bit more tongue-in-cheek. It certainly is historical, but it's pointing out the ludicrousness that was the Soviet occupation of Prague. That being said, it does have very serious exhibits because there, it was a calamitous, horrifying time of isolation and censorship and, and imprisonment, and, and, and they just wanted out of it. 
And Prague is one of those unique places where they were able to get rid of the Soviet occupiers with no bloodshed. They call it the Velvet Revolution. In 1989, they kicked out the Soviets and they became independent. But it took them a lot to get there. Before that, in the 60s, there was a Prague invasion. And the Soviets rolled in with tanks because the Czech people wanted to leave. And the Soviets said, no, you can't leave the Soviet Union. You can't leave communism. So they invaded their own territory with tanks to stop this uprising. Well, the Czech people certainly didn't like this. One of them was a young man named Jan Pollock. Now, this museum is fantastic, and it has some exhibits to Jan Pollock and who he was. The museum is tongue-in-cheek. It's fun. It's got some, you know, you should definitely get the postcards. They've got really cheeky postcards. And it's above a McDonald's. And it, it makes, it's like, haha, we're above a McDonald's. So cap communism lost, capitalism won, haha. But just around the corner is St. Wenceslaus Square. St. Wenceslaus Square is where a lot of these tanks rolled through when the Soviets invaded. In fact, you can still see bullet holes in some of the older buildings to this day. Jan Pollock was a young man who actually let himself on fire in St. Wenceslaus Square. And so to honor him, they basically say that this is the guy who kind of made us realize that we want to be independent, and he, he sacrificed his life. So there's that interesting thing about Prague. It's this gothic and dark and sad, but also this vibrant and lively and, and a little tongue-in-cheek and self-aware. So it's a very vibrant city for that. One of the things you can do on Wenceslaus Square, besides pay homage to Jan Pollock, is go to the Natural History Museum. Now, we don't usually recommend these sorts of things, science museums or whatever. We usually go with art or history. But this one is a lot of fun, actually, for one reason. It has one of the best rock exhibits I have ever seen. Now, that's I seem weird, but it is a huge room full of rocks and, you know, diamonds and crystals and rubies. And I'm not really into geology or whatever, but this kind of brought me in and said, oh my gosh, this is quite fascinating. Any museum that has an exhibit that is well-presented and interesting makes for a good museum. And that includes both the Natural History Museum and the Cold War Museum. Even if you're not interested in either of these subjects, these are brilliant museums, well laid out, very entertaining and enjoyable. Now, if the medieval is more your speed, then there's so much to see here because, again, Prague is a very medieval city. There are medieval walls, you can see. There are medieval memorials. And just all these hearkening back to their origins back centuries ago. And you really shouldn't miss all of these little things scattered about the city. So speaking of medieval parts of the city that are still around, I have to recommend one of my favorite places in the world and certainly one of my favorite bars in the world. But it also is my favorite restaurant and my favorite brewery. It's one of my favorite places. It is a place called Ufleku. Now this is a 500 year old brewery. The interesting thing about it is they make one beer. The beer, the one beer they've made for 500 years, and if you've been doing anything for 500 years, you do it brilliantly. This beer is phenomenal. It is a dark lager. That's what the Czech lagers are known for. If you're a craft beer aficionado and you get a Czech lager, it's a darker lager. And that's what this is. It's darker grain, so you toast the, the malt a little bit and you get that darker color, but it's still a lager, so it's light and crisp and refreshing. Very complex, very interesting. You go to Ufleku. Now, 
The traditional way to do it is you sit down and you flake you, you order a beer and they'll set it down. But if you want another one, just like back in Cologne, they'll just set a new one down. You have to put your coaster on top or you have to tell them to stop bringing you more. And I love a place that does this. You can just keep on drinking. If they see an empty glass, there's servers. They only have one beer. If you want beer, here it is. So they'll just set down an empty glass right or a full glass right beside you if you've got an empty one. Right. So you've got these waiters roaming around with these bulging biceps and hoisting beer all day, just carrying trays of beer. And they see an empty, they replace it with a full one. The only other thing that these servers are carrying around are giant trays full of aperitifs. So those are the two drinks you can get at Uflaku. There are two varieties of aperitif we discovered. They're both very minty and very crisp, but I recommend getting this before or even after, sort of as a as a digestive or, or an aperitif. Oh yeah, a palate cleanser. So you get the shot glass, it's full of an interesting combination of schnapps and mint, and it's delicious. I don't recommend doing what we saw one tourist do, where they took their aperitif and they poured it into their beer. And I thought, ah! I was just so horrified. I'm like, you're ruining both. Why would you do this? And you could tell they ruined both by the look on their face when they took a drink of it and like, turned well, green. Why would I do this? Yeah, why would you do this? It's fun. The, there's an oompa band that goes around playing. Oh, and one thing. Bear in mind, this is a 500-year-old establishment. You're going to have to kind of play along with how things used to be. One of the things that didn't hap- ha- exist in the old world, you know, restaurants and bars was you didn't have a private table. There were just big rooms full of benches. And so when you go to Uflaku, don't be surprised if you end up having to rub elbows with someone else because it's more of a beer hall than a restaurant. And this is actually a lot of fun. Yeah, you get to sit next to people and make friends and everyone's jolly, hopefully. Just don't be a jerk. You know, understand that everyone's there to enjoy the atmosphere and have fun where it's not a olive garden. (laughs) You know, it's not an Applebee's. It's not a place where you're going to sit down, get private service and all that. You kind of have to play by the rules and learn what the rules are. And one of the rules are there's one beer, there's the aperitifs, and they have a menu of sausages and potatoes and whatnot. It is all delicious. Go there adapt, keep an open mind, because every now and then we saw some tourists, they were like, hmm, I don't like this. It's not a not a restaurant. I'm, I'm not getting personalized service they for my waiver. They tend to be of a certain age group. Yes. <laughs> so don't be that way. Be open-minded and enjoy a beer rubbing elbows with people you've never met before and make new friends clinking glasses with a 500-year-old beer. You flaky, one of the best places, best bars, best restaurants on earth. Absolutely. Now, one of the best defining things about Czech is Czech crystal. They've got all these mines. They have this beautiful, beautiful crystal, and they have a very specific bohemian way of cutting it. So Czech crystal, Prague crystal, is really world famous. You'll see throughout the world, exported from from Prague, the crystal with this distinctive bohemian starburst. It's an eight-pointed starburst. They, there are people who try to imitate it, so you kind of need to keep an eye out for the real versus the fake. But this Czech crystal is just beautiful. They have clear, they have colored. David and I actually set out before we even started the trip intending to buy some Czech crystal for our glassware collection. We wanted a set of two tumblers and we wanted a set of six or eight goblets, wine glasses. Yeah, we said this was going to be our one real big souvenir on this big trip because we weren't going to take it with us. We were going to get some nice crystal and know that it was going to be relatively expensive 
and expensive to ship at home, but it was our worth it. It was our treat to ourselves. Our our big expenditure, our big splurge. So we went to a huge amount of stores, and a lot of them are pretty interchangeable. Right. There are so, again, this crystal is ubiquitous to the culture of Prague. And so there are these crystal stores everywhere. You can shop. You can look. We kept finding this one set of wine glasses where we absolutely loved the red and the blue and the green. But you would get a set of six and each one would be a different color. They, had a, and, they looked the like a Crayola. The yeah, they looked like a Crayola set. <laughs> and so finally, we found this tiny little shop. I mean, when I say tiny, it was maybe five foot by ten foot. It was rinky-dink. but Right they, by the Charles Bridge, right at the base of the Castle Hill. But they had a set of this breathtaking, solid ruby red goblets, white stems, red goblets, white cuts that famous bohemian star, we fell in love with it immediately. I mean, when, I, when she says red, it looked like blood turned into glass. It yes. was just this rich red. And they told us that there's a process by which they infuse the crystal with gold. That's to, how you get that red color. To get that distinctive ruby red color. We fell in love. We bought it immediately. We shipped it home. We also found a set of very heavy whiskey tumblers. And these things are huge and they weigh about 10 pounds each. Yeah. You can find these online, you can find these on the store, but to be honest, you act it's hard to find the actual Prague crystal. I've done some searching because I've wanted to buy from Prague crystal stores when we got home, buy some more, and there's only a handful of places that do it, and they ship internationally. It's not like you can buy this stuff on Amazon, which in a lot of ways, in my mind, makes it more special. The fact that I have to put in some extra effort to get this, that I just can't go to Walmart and get it, that makes it more special. Well, this crystal is special. We were discussing our wine glasses. You cling these things together. You do a toast. And it doesn't chime a single note like a normal glass. It chimes a chord. So I've actually got the crystal glasses right here. And so when you cling regular crystal, it might sound like something like this. You know, just, that's fine. It's, it's crystal. But this is what our... Finely tuned ruby red Prague Bohemian crystal sounds like when you cling them. Now, you might be mistaken for thinking that we chime some sort of handbell because that is not just one note. That is a trio of notes. That is a glass that when you cling it makes an in-key chord. <laughs> and that is the quality of the Prague crystal that we just can't stop raving over. And by the way, we didn't spend $1,000 or anything, something like this. These, these, this crystal set was about $80, and it was totally worth every penny. It was another 30 or 40 or 50 to, to ship at home. So we're talking around $200 to get a set of wine glasses, some tumblers, and to ship them home, which... Maybe it's a little bit more now, inflation and changing prices, but definitely try and get some when you're out there. It's not terribly expensive. You, They all ship internationally. You can ship at home. We actually had one break when it arrived, and they replaced it. So these these stores are very good, very affordable, and everywhere. So shop around and have fun. Not only did they replace it, they sent us photos of two different ones and said, which one more closely matches your shade of red? And they sent us the exact shade of red that we had had break in transit so jessica had mentioned in the berlin episode that she doesn't like pilsners i don't pilsners around here taste like skunk but they originated in bohemia which is where the czech republic is and so of course 
I figure if I'm going to find a Pilsner I like, I'm going to find it here. And I did. I found a Pilsner I like. We went to a little bar that was branded the Pilsner Ukel Bar. Now, Pilsner Ukel is made in a little city called Pilsen, which you can go there, you can see the Pilsner Ukel Brewery. But in Prague, they've got it right there as well. This bar was fun. We They have the Pilsner Ukel there, sure, but on the bar, they had these rye bread pretzels just sitting there. You can just eat the pretzels and drink your Pilsner Ukel. And it was the first time ever that Jessica was like, I like this Pilsner. Yeah, we actually told the bartender that I don't like Pilsners. He gave me a look and said, you haven't had the right one. He poured me one, watched me take my first drink, and crossed his arms went, I told you so. So she doesn't like Pilsners, but she likes Pilsner Ukel. I like fresh Pilsners. <laughs> one of the last things that we did was walk along the river walk. Now, the river area is relatively underdeveloped compared to the inner parts of the city, the medieval styles. There's an opera house. There's several other bridges. But the river further away from the Charles Bridge, a little bit detached from the tourist area, we found a series of barges and boats, and we found a lot of the locals hanging out. And it was a fun little area where you had essentially food trucks and boats doing all sorts of different dishes. And there were people playing music. We happened upon a group playing cellos. And it was just a phenomenal experience to see, oh, we're away from the tourists a bit. This is where kind of the locals hang out. It's a fun locals spot rather than a fun place that, you know, existed 500 years ago and now it's crowded with tourists. So there's a lot of really cool stuff to try out. A lot of music, a lot of restaurants on these little dockside boats. And so we went there and hung out for a little bit and watched the sunset from the side of the river. And that was one the, the way we spent our last day in Prague really just remarking on how great it was that we got to see the varied experiences. You get to see the new Prague, which is the after-Soviet, the sort of industrialized, we're reawakening, we're, we're here, we're having fun, let's go hang out in the Riverwalk and get away from the tourists. We got to see the 500-year-old Prague and st still see it that's still relevant and still around and, and see the scars of Cold War and World War II Prague and and of course, a solemn experience, you can also see the old Jewish quarter of Prague and the cemeteries that are these gravestones that are falling on one on top of each other. And you get to see this synagogue where the golem is supposed to be. The famous golem of the synagogue is, is in Prague. And the, the solemnness of, of the tragedy of the Holocaust is there, certainly. And, and the Jewish population is just it's very, very small, and so that it's a missing part of Prague, and, and it's really a tragedy that that's no longer there, but there's some evidence of its history there as, as well. And so the solemn mixed with the vibrant, mixed with the gothic, it's just all over the city. So you can see all sorts of different things in Prague. Everything is there. If you want the solemn and gothic and dark and sad, it's right there next to festivals and food and drink and fun and a vibrant modern city. Just make sure you bring your walking shoes. <laughs> it's a city of dichotomy. It's the light and the dark and it's wonderful. So what was your favorite drink while we were in Prague? I never thought I'd say these words. The Pilsner. I can't believe how good that Pilsner was. And in fact, not only do I like 
that Pilsner, it led me to like locally brewed, freshly made, not skunky Pilsners. Right, but you don't actually like Pilsner Urkel in the, the, in the bottle here in the States, do you? Right, because it's not fresh. I found <laughs> that I only like fresh Pilsners. And so sitting in that bar with that very smug bartender of, I can make you like a Pilsner. <laughs> I loved that. I think I have to go with everything about you, Flake, who is my favorite drink. It was my favorite drink, that 500-year-old beer, that dark lager. Oh, so great. But it was also my favorite food. I mean, the food you get at Uflaku, it's just a wonderful experience. I want to live at that bar. It's such a great place to be, to enjoy, to eat and drink and and and, and meet people and enjoy the music. I could go on and on about Uflaku. And I cannot disagree with you. Uflaku's food and beer, absolutely phenomenal. However, do you remember those thick slabs of ham we got in the festival at the park? Again, not a, recre- yeah, not a recreatable experience unless that festival returns. But yes, those were phenomenally delicious. I mean, slabs of ham, an inch thick and dripping with juice. Yeah, it was delicious. So what was your favorite thing about Prague? Walking around, seeing the statuary and seeing the historical sites and shopping those shops for the crystal. Walking through these... Sunlit shops gleaming and glistening with rainbows just refracting off and through the crystal. It was breathtakingly beautiful and such a fun experience. Breathtakingly beautiful right there with you and the the ambiance, everything. I think it's just combined into one building, which for me is the cathedral at Prague Castle. I think that's my favorite thing about Prague is being at the castle, looking down upon this beautiful Gothic city, being in this wonderfully darkened stone and bright lighted glass stained glass windows of this cathedral it is a gloriously beautiful city encapsulated in this gloriously beautiful cathedral in Prague castle it's my favorite well seriously do not miss Prague this is a city that you must see before you die now of course if I'm going to discuss a drink for the Czech Republic it's going to be the Pilsner again This is a shock for me. I hate Pilsners for this Pilsner. So it's just like any other beer. You're going to get a nice, narrow pint glass. You're going to pour it, get that good head on it, and then bring it up. Let the foam touch your lips, breathe in through your nose, take your drink, get your good mouth full, your good mouth of air as well. Let that flavor dance on your tongue, that light carbonation. Lovely. Like with most Pilsners, it's not so much the pouring of it, it's the preparation of it. So I think the caveat here is Jessica would just recommend getting a fresh Pilsner. Yes, don't go bottled, don't go canned, (laughs) go fresh. The way to get a good Pilsner is not necessarily how you drink it or pour it. It's just make sure you get a nice fresh one. Like when you're in Prague and you can get pills, fresh Pilsner or Kel. Go to your local brewery, ask for a Pilsner. Hopefully they do it properly and enjoy there. Absolutely. So this has been Passports and Birth Control. Don't forget your passport. Don't forget your birth control. Like Passports and Birth Control? Give us a review and follow us on Instagram. Tell us in the comments where you'd like us to go next and support us on Patreon. Your support will send us more places and help us create more episodes.